Then from Ann Arbor, good night. So here we go. KC Lapata. One of one today. He is four of six on the year. His field goal that he made was from 26 out. His season high and career long is 50. And this one will be from 31 yards away. Or I beg your pardon, 26 yards away to try and tie this game and send us into OT. Have we been here before? Previously it was for a win for Michigan. Now it's for a tie. The kick is no good. Celebration on the Toledo sideline. What happened here? It's a perfect spot for a kicker who's right-footed. He just pulled it too much. Is that absolute joy for Toledo Tom and his crew? And for Rich Rodriguez, more anguish on the sidelines for the brand-new Michigan head coach. Congratulations to Tom Anstutz and the Toledo Rockets. They've had their share of problems this year. Only their second win of the season. But what a win it is. They come to the big house. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And uh, I'll just give out a quick brain damage award to Rich Rodriguez. I I don't know if this guy's going to make it through next year. Uh, his understanding of football escapes me. Hey, why was this guy so sought after? I have no idea. Um, big mistake. I mean, they were obviously trying to hire less miles to begin with. He'd been part of the, quote, Michigan family. But Rodriguez is just making the game unnecessarily complex. And unfortunately, football is really about blocking and tackling. There are a few trick plays that come into the game from time to time. But when you're stretching the defense with the so-called spread offense laterally and not vertically, um, you actually help the defense. So the seventh-grade offense that this guy's trying to run is just – not working, and he's stubborn, and trying to pass the ball when you've got a first and goal from the six-yard line early in the game against a team on paper that you should be beating, which turns into an interception that was basically the decisive play of the game. That goes down in Michigan history as the second-worst call of all time. Uh, Bo Schembechler gets the award when he brought in a tailback in the Iowa game back in the 80s uh, that we lost who had not touched the ball all game and he fumbled with about a minute left in the game when we were on the two-yard line about to win the game. So I think there's big problems uh, in the state of Denmark and I get back to simply two bad karma things that have occurred in the last two uh, last year. Uh, when Michigan fans cheered the injury to Chad Henney last year that was bad karma. And when Bill Martin decided to build an addition to the big house to basically benefit 80 people, uh, building, rebuilding the press box is legitimate, but the luxury boxes are an example of what's wrong with this country and the priorities that we uh, place on a higher institution like Michigan, when you can contemplate that the uh, U of M is spending $225 million on this luxury bo box suites addition, it's uh, going to be hard to figure out how they're going to fill those seats. Um, I don't buy this argument that Michigan doesn't have talent. They've got plenty of talent. Um, 
What they don't have at the moment is a football coach that understands how to use that talent. And he's trying to run something that isn't going to work with the players he's got. And he's not using a lot of players that he does have. So he just gets a brain damage award. And uh, we can move on to more relevant things. I always like to get my two cents worth in every now and then on sports. Um, this could just give out a brain damage award to the debate last week. Brokaw was, oh, put me to sleep. I mean, it was a terrible. rerun. It was a rerun of the first debate. Yeah, and I just annoys the heck out of me that we never get outside the sort of talking points of the campaigns. Why no question about, for instance, the recent decision by the Bush administration to give India nuclear indeed uh, f- fuel, quote unquote. No questions about Latin America. Nothing really about China. Nothing about um, really the the complexities of this global uh, economic meltdown. Um, very disappointing. Nothing about Zimbabwe. Nothing about relations with Europe. Um, just very disappointing in terms of the parameters of the debate and where it's going, uh, you know, where our country is going. And I just hope, and I, I wouldn't count on this because Bob Schieffer is another sort of, <laughs> I don't want to call him a dud, but he's kind of a... <laughs> he can't be any worse than Brokaw. God. Kind of a hokey pokey guy. <laughs> um, so let's hope there are some more innovative questions. The reason I'm giving Brokaw the brain damage award is supposedly this was a debate in which thousands of questions were submitted. And sure, you can ask a few questions about the important issues of the day, like health care, the Iraq war, Afghanistan, the economic crisis, the bailout, etc. But let's widen the discussion a little bit. Ugh. So let's hope uh, this uh, last and final debate, and thankfully it will be the final debate. This, I think we need to have a question fundamentally about how long these presidential... Well, that's what I was just going to say, is that at this point now, uh, what are we, three weeks away? Yeah. And it's it's going to be the longest three weeks of anyone's life. I mean, while we're in this, you know, economic tailspin... You know, the McCain camp, obviously increasingly desperate. Yeah. Uh, you could, you know, be sure to, to bet money that the Obama campaign would love to have the election tomorrow mm-hmm. um, at this point. Um, and there's all sorts of stuff to talk about there. But, you know, um, European electoral campaigns are very short. Yes. They're eight weeks long. That's a long one. Sometimes they're six weeks long. There's free television time given over for debates. There's a broader range of political parties in operation in in most European uh, government systems. So there's more uh, diversity of opinion reflected there. Um, And the entire thing uh, is done much cheaper and much much more informative. Um, We've had so many sideshows and tangents and... You know, now the Reverend Wright is suddenly, you know, back. back as an issue. It was never an issue in the first place, but in the, you know, desperate need on the part of the media to have something to spin over, he's back. Well, he's back, and, like, even the even the superficiality of the Weather Underman uh, right. uh, debate is absurd. Okay, Bill Ayers, involved with the Weather Weatherman, I guess is what they were called back then. 
Compare how many people the weathermen, quote, killed back in the late 60s, early 70s. In comparison to who, how many people America's killed in the last two weeks in Afghanistan with uh, airstrikes and right. innocent civilians that are dying. It's, <laughs> or the Vietnam War itself. Um, and hopefully this will be the last presidential campaign in which we continue to debate the Vietnam War. Right. It's, it's remarkable. The Vietnam War was the biggest mistake in American history until the Iraq War. <laughs> And the Vietnam War is why we began deficit spending. It's partially the reason that we had high inflation starting in the 70s. And one of the only good things about the current economic catastrophe that's going on, and it's not, it's not as going to be as bad as the Great Depression, but at least we're getting some historical comparisons to the previous massive downturns in the economy, which occurred under Nixon and Reagan. Indeed. <laughs> So we're going to get some historical balance about who's responsible for this mess and what's, you know, what are the solutions? And I think that it's obviously the last couple of weeks the media has been obsessed with the stock market and the, quote, credit crisis, which, which are legitimate issues. And by the way, I'm going to give a brain damage award out to the Federal Reserve for lowering interest rates last week. Look, the Federal Reserve has got eight bullets and a six-shooter gun. So imagine a gun with eight-bullet uh, holster poles or whatever the hell they're called, the chambers. Um, easy credit is at, the, is at the heart of the problem. You don't waste one, two of your bullets because the Australian bank decided to lower interest rates. Um, that isn't the problem. It's not the rate of interest uh, that, that the Fed has. Not when LIBOR is on a daily basis trading at 5%. Not when Warren Buffett loans uh, Goldman Sachs, I think it was $5 billion at 10% interest rate. The, the, this, this credit crisis is, is obviously being caused by a, a lack of, quote, confidence and a lack of cash. And wasting your bullets now, uh, as they just have done, it's pointless. Um, that isn't at the heart of the problem. <laughs> um, I think Bernanke actually does understand the, uh, the issues at hand. He's an expert on the Great Depression, but Paulson's another matter. And it's very interesting, by the way, to dissect. Just recently, I went back and I checked some, some of the things that have been going on regarding the, the Treasury Secretary and what he's been advocating. And, you know, it's fascinating to note that back in April... Um, he basically was trying to ease uh, deregulation, um, arguing that the, 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 you know, that the problems were, um, I'll just read this article from the 1st of April by Jenny Anderson. It says, more than a year ago when markets were flying high, a chorus of alarm went up over Wall Street. Talk spread that the United States risked losing its edge in the financial world. But the threat that many executives saw was not that the, uh, the credit crisis then looming. It was the threat of excessive litigation and overregulation. Wall Street urged Washington to lighten up. <laughs> and, of course, it comes out that at the time, the, uh, Paulson uh, made an, a, a proposal that went before Congress that fortunately did not pass, in which he advocated um, more deregulation 
So we know uh, what's been going on. And, and uh, you know, the, the problem with the bailout and all this money that's being thrown around, and it's staggering. I mean, uh, just to, to quote an article by David Leonard, a pretty good economic analyst in the New York Times from the 8th of October, he writes, all told, the Federal Reserve has pumped $800 billion, this is before uh, the new money that's been th thrown around, all told, um, this is from the 8th of uh, October, the Federal Reserve has pumped $800 billion into the financial system. Ben Bernanke, its chairman, estimated on Tuesday. This is obviously of last week. That figure doesn't include the untold sum that the Fed now plans to spend buying short-term debt so that companies can continue to pay for their daily operations. It doesn't include any of the money that the Treasury Department is laying out like the $700 billion uh, bailout fund or the $200 billion that could be spent propping up Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. After 14 months of crisis, the federal government, meaning you and me, has put serious money on the line. Just how are we going to pay for this? Question mark. Well, John McCain has an idea, and that's... Cut taxes. No, and sell more weapons to Taiwan. Oh, yeah. Great. <laughs> the Bush uh, administration kind of decided at the last minute to <clears throat> soft pedal in an arms package because they didn't want to overly antagonize China, who, of course, complained. Uh, regardless, uh, China sees Taiwan as a renegade province. Um, but McCain says that the sale of uh, F-16 jets to Taiwan is good for everybody because it's good for American workers and it's good for Taiwan to be able to uh, deal with China from a position of strength. Well, you know, Taiwan's never going to really have a position of strength over China no matter how many F-16s we sell them. And this sort of mentality that, you know, creating nuclear power plants will be good for the American worker another John McCain uh, suggestion, or that uh, arming the world and destabilizing every region that comes along, this is where we've gone wrong for 40, 50, 60 years now in exactly this uh, regard. We should be de-arming, disarming de -arming, the world. Yeah. And cutting spending on the military, that's a good area of the budget to go after. And this is plenty of uh, fat to be cut there. More of the same. Uh, more of the same. I mean, just recently we have a f on, in the Sunday uh, New York Times, uh, the 14th edition, which, by the way, had some very interesting <clears throat> analysis of, of how Sarah Palin operates uh, up there in West, uh, Alaska, noting that she hires her friends and goes after her enemies. <laughs> That she's a little Machiavellian. Well, and her uh, hubby Todd uh, seems to have uh, delusions of Cheneyism there. Or... First nerd. <laughs> yes, my wife was voted in, and uh, as the man, I have 50% uh, of that power. Right, and of course, the gist of the articles about her were um, that <clears throat> people in the Palin administration, the Alaska Palin administration... Always had to pose the question, what would Todd do? <laughs> Maybe that came after what would Jesus do? I, I don't know, but I kind of doubt it. I think it came first. But, uh, yeah, Eric Lipton, 
they have a chart showing foreign military sales in billions that just uh, this year is projected to go over $30 billion. He writes that the Department of Defense has agreed so far this fiscal year to sell or transfer more than $32 billion in weapons and other military equipment to foreign governments compared to $12 billion in 2005. This trend, which started in 2006, is most pronounced in the Middle East, but it reaches to Northern Africa, Asia, Latin America, Europe, and even Canada. The Bush administration officials say they are confident both uh, through the dozens of deals that both uh, will tighten military alliances and combat terrorism. Oh, really? And, of course, it goes into the details with a nice little map showing who the beneficiaries of these weapons sales are. Afghanistan, $11.4 billion. Australia, $6.5 billion. Saudi Arabia, nearly $9 billion. Iraq, $4.5 billion. That's where the bulk of the money is going. And then, of course, it notes that um, um, th these are notifications to Congress of possible sales that the uh, United Arab Emirates have expressed interest in spending as much as $9 billion on the Patriot missile system. I hasten to add, by the way, the United Arab Emirates was one of three countries that recognized the Taliban uh, back in the 90s, along with Pakistan, Pakistan. and Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Good buddies of ours all. Um, that uh, the Bush administration, that is. The financing for 9-11 uh, is linked to the United Arab Emirates to some level. Um, this is staggering. Now, what does the United Arab Emirates need with Patriot missile systems? Who are they going to be attacked by? The Shiites in Iraq, who are now our allies? Well, Iran is probably the, the you know, purported threat there. Yeah. But it's funny that Afghanistan should, you know, rate so prominently there. Um, because there's an interesting article in uh, Financial Times of last uh, this weekend. Uh, Kabul seeks foreign funds to take on corruption. Well, these foreign funds are the very heart of the corruption itself, because when all this stuff comes flooding in to Afghanistan, President uh, Karzai, also known as the mayor of Kabul, because the territory that he uh, commands and controls is pretty May much... Mayor of Kabul? Meet the mayor of Wasilla. Right. Is shifting and shrinking, you know, week to week. Um this is interesting. I actually looked this up on the Internet today, according to this article by John Boone. According to a recent global corruption index compiled by an organization called Transparency International, Afghanistan languishes in 172nd position on a list of 180 countries. You know, Denmark, Iceland, Sweden, these are all in the, the upper tiers. The United States ranks as the 18th least corrupt country out of 180. Iran, or excuse me, Iraq is 178th. Pakistan is 134th. Georgia rates uh, 67 on there. I couldn't resist looking Georgia up. But all, a lot of this money that goes into Afghanistan, these weapons that go into Afghanistan, what are the likelihood, what are the odds that it's ending up in the hands of the Taliban. Sure. Extremely high. Extremely high because the whole thing is a complicated uh, terrorist quagmire <clears throat> that the United States has never quite figured out, dating back to its decision to go in 
to uh, Afghanistan, so to speak, that incidentally started with Brzezinski. Um, Brzezinski now admits in his memoirs that the United States was in Afghanistan before the Soviets, but it was escalated heavily under Ronald Reagan, and Zia-ul-Haq was the that parad- paragon of... <laughs> Of virtue. <laughs> virtue and morality and incorruptibility, the recipient of uh, several billion dollars of uh, military uh, arms sales that we just detailed. And, yeah, this graph is disturbing because it shows the rapid increase that uh, has occurred in the last half of the Bush administration. And it also shows, dating back to the mid-'90s, that the United States was actually on a downward trend and that global military foreign arms sales were closer to $10 billion back then. So well, God, remember the halcyon days of the collapse of the Soviet Union, and there was actually open talk, even amongst the upper echelons of the mainstream media, about a peace dividend. And there was a small peace dividend. Right. The United States actually did decrease uh, defense spending considerably in the 90s, which may explain why the economy did considerably better. Uh, military spending is corrupt. There are payoffs galore. There's, I mean, America, McCain doesn't even talk about this. He talks about earmarks, but look, the earmarks are chump change compared to what's going on with uh, kickbacks and illegality and unaccountability and cost overruns for some of these weapon systems. They are staggering. Yeah. And by the way, to uh, Carl Levin, our senator from Michigan's credit, he is one of the most thorough uh, members of Congress regarding the, shall we say, the accountability uh, regarding where some of this defense spending is going. Um <clears throat> Should we give a brain damage award out to that woman in Minnesota that said she'd read all about our Obama and I don't trust him and he's an Arab? Yeah, I don't really Was know that if a, a plan brain, brain damage award applies to that. You know, the, the strange thing about all this is, is that this increasingly rabid yeah. uh, language from or verbiage, mm. <laughs> to use a Palinism uh, verbiage, um, from the McCain supporters cabbage uh, are only going to hurt McCain because the sort of on the fence undecided voter who purportedly still exists out there that's exactly the sort of thing they don't want to be associated with you have all these sorts of just outright hateful comment you know they were interviewing Bill Crystal on uh, National Public Radio today and an angry caller uh, phoned in and asked you know well gee if uh, Obama supporters were were shouting, you know, kill McCain, you know, uh, there'd be all sorts of protestations and probably a Justice Department investigation. Bill Cresto says, no, no, you can't really control what a few uh, individuals would say. But, uh, of course, uh, people in the Ann Arbor listening community are well aware of the way in which the federal government under Ronald Reagan and Bush the first scrutinized, photographed uh, participants at uh, Central South American Political Activity mm-hmm. Awareness Groups, just trying to get the word out about what the death camps were doing with our tax dollars in Central America. So, of course, the Justice Department scrutinizes the actions of individuals, Bill Crystal's uh, attempts to pish posh it all, notwithstanding. But here's a, just a remarkable comment, because you, you mentioned a brain damage award for that woman. We've got to come up with another award. Just listen to this. This is from an article in uh, 
Financial Times of Wednesday, October 8th, about Obama's burden, race in the U.S. election. And this quote is pretty remarkable. I'll just read this paragraph here. Despite the unprecedented interest in this year's election, Mr. Cook says that many voters have been paying little attention until recently and will cast their votes based on vague impressions. These low-information voters who don't read newspapers, barely watch TV news, and aren't engaged in the issues. Amy Farmer is one of these. She's a 42-year-old mother of four from Toledo, Ohio, admits to fulfilling Mr. Cook's criteria. Mr. Cook is a observer. Yeah, uh, Charlie Cook, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Amy Farmer admits to fulfilling Mr. Cook's criteria and offers, quote, child molesters, close quote, as her most important issue. Okay. Um, it's a chaotic uh, and confusing world, but child molesters are apparently the greatest threat our nation faces. Um, she goes on to say, I'm not voting for him, she says, outside her local Walmart store, as if it was implicit, implicit that she meant Mr. Obama. There's something about him I don't trust. Rosemary Bach, another Walmart shopper, was more specific. He says he's not Muslim, but I don't know if you can just turn it off like that, she says. <laughs> like like he said he was gay or something. Like there aren't normal Americans who happen to be mm -hmm. Muslim who aren't perfectly good human beings and Americans. But this is all that sort of, you know, McCain, to his credit took the microphone away from that woman and said, right. no, he's a decent family sure. man. You know, this is the, the bare minimum that he could have done there. Uh, but I think McCain sort of fosters this atmosphere in which such verbiage can be uh, uttered when he fails to look at Obama at all in the first debate. When right, the or calls debate, him that one. When he refers to him as that one. That was startling. I mean, I listening to the radio on that debate, I didn't bother watching it, but... You know, my jaw dropped mm -hmm. when he said that. Yeah. So, um... That girl, I was thinking. <laughs> oh, Marlo Thomas, where are you when we need you? So, yeah, I mean, McCain's in trouble because it's obvious that he's desperate. Well, he's and he's been promoting this, this, this little, I don't trust him. Yeah. Do we know who Obama is? You know, this sort of vague... Because what else can he do? He can't run on his associations to George Bush or Ronald Reagan. Uh, even the maverickness of the John McCain uh, record is is called into question. Um, I just think too that the complexity of this economic downturn is is uh, you know staggering. We've it's funny as soon as Bush comes out of his gopher hole or <laughs> in the White House. He's been smoked out of that hole a couple of times and makes a statement about the economy. The stock market promptly goes down very quickly because, you know, we still don't know the details of a lot of these injections of cash, so to speak, though. It's interesting and fascinating, by the way, that Paul Krugman yeah. uh, was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize or uh, the Nobel Economics Prize today. And it's just fascinating to note in today's... Uh, his column in today's New York Times notes that the the British government got it right. They have come in quickly, um, nationalized the banks, so to speak. I mean, who who would have thought we'd be replaying Andrew Jackson and the right. National Bank? But that's what the Federal Reserve's turning into. And uh, he gets down to the fact that they're doing something palpable and quick, whereas the Bush administration is still dithering and debating what to do and when to do it. Um, 
But the complexities of the problems with the, the economic situation here in America, it's not just the credit crisis. I mean, the housing crisis is well known. Mm-hmm. Um, delinquencies are up. I mean, there's just report after report about that. Um, one in six in America now owe more on their homes than they're worth. And, of course, the interesting thing is the jobs issue. Fascinating that uh, Hillary Clinton, of all people, today had a uh, response to drill, baby, drill. Jobs, baby jobs. Well, more about the unemployment issue uh, next week because uh, the real rate in America, by the way, is uh, not employed is is about 13% of men and 27% of women and is the highest, um, second highest since uh, the Second World War. Well, we are apparently out of time. Keep uh, a maintain a cheery disposition. Cheery disposition. I guess uh, Jerry's uh, ready to r- roll down there in the FM studio with Yazoo City Calling. So do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling is coming up next right here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And thanks to Andrew for engineering once again this evening. Salvation in my kitchen, red signs on my door. Ah, salvation in my kitchen, red signs on my door. And if my look don't change up, can't see you at my home no more. I got up this morning Just about the dawn of day I got up this morning, mama Just about the dawn of day Man, I ain't got no job I ain't got no place Lord, I walk in the door. I ain't got a job. Lord, I walk in the store, mama. I ain't got a job. Been out for a dime. Next morning, the clerk don't pay me no money. La 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 la